All right, so if you didn't know this about Tyler and I, we were in youth ministry for about eight years before we started Mosaic here in our living room. And we played a lot of pretty ridiculous games um, during the time that we were youth pastors, like having a soda chugging contest where there were like six people who lined up. And the trick was that at the very last second, we told them to take off one of their socks and put it over the can so they would have to drink through a stinky sock. And then at the very last second, we had them pass the can of soda to the person to their right. So they were actually drinking out of somebody else's sock, which was terrible. Don't drink out my socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or food relays where everything was wrapped up in aluminum foil and you didn't know what you were pulling out of the bag. It could be sardines. It could be Vienna sausages. It could just be an orange. So you would try to feel for the right thing. Um, a particularly disgusting one was a blended up Happy Meal, which doesn't sound too terrible, but the carbonation in the soda is pretty... Like barf worthy. Um, also, Tyler's favorite, um, potty mouth, which was bobbing for candy bars in a training toilet. Oh, so with Mountain Dew. With Mountain Dew. That's the liquid. Yeah, he was really upset when the children passed her threw away his potties. He was like, "Where did my potties go?" Um, but the game that kind of relates to tonight is a Twinkie eating contest. And um, the kids thought that they were coming up to eat Twinkies and that it would be a simple contest. Like whoever goes the fastest is great. Can anybody guess the ending to this game? No? Mary's already saying, ooh, do you just not like Twinkies? We're not eating a lot of them. Right. <laughs> it was only one. Um, but they were in for a big surprise because the inside didn't match the outside. We had refilled them with mayonnaise. Oh. Um, oh. Oh. And so tonight, Paul is going to talk a little bit with us about when the insides don't match the outside. Um, he says in Romans 2.28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. So no one is a Twinkie who is merely one outwardly and has mayonnaise inside. Um, and so Paul is writing to a Jewish audience in this particular section, or he's addressing Jews. Um, and he says that the inside and the outside have to match in order for people to avoid judgment from God. But, like we already talked about last week, um, the inside and the outside will never match because we are always prone to sin. And it's not because we were made to be sinful. God made us to be good. But it's because of the exchange that we talked about last week. Where um, Paul and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news. He talks about this long list of sin that has to do with our behaviors. And he talks about bad attitudes. Um, like a moralist or an upright person um, kind of judging other people. And Paul kind of says, look in the mirror. You're guilty too. Um, that none of us are without sin or without fault. Um, and we kind of applied those ideas last week with um, the concepts of idol worship, things that perhaps we put in the place of God in our lives. And we talked about 
um, how sometimes we can tend to sit on high horses and look down on people around us and that both of those things are not things that we should be doing because we're all guilty and we all are a part of this bad news. Um, but where Paul is going is the good news of Jesus. Um, and so tonight, the big idea for us is that religion can't save you. So in part two of bad news in this three-week series, we're going to talk about how religion can't save us. Um, and I'm going to explain a little bit more about the idea of religion as we go on. Um, but it's basically like we... We can look great on the outside, like a good Twinkie, but inside we still have mayonnaise, (laughs) right? If we're going to apply that idea. Um, And so in this passage, Paul is going to address the two most important items that would make someone distinctively Jewish, and that is the law and circumcision. And so we're going to define those in a little bit. So I don't want you to check out because this passage is a little bit tongue twistery. And some of the other chapters in Romans are a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, So try to just focus on it and we'll kind of break it down together. Um, But let's go ahead and read. Um, This is Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29. And it's going to be up on the screen in the English Standard Version. Romans 2, chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Can you find the page? Tell them what page number it is. Yeah. 701. 701. 701. And those Bibles are not going to match what's on the screen, so it might be easier to just look at the screen. I don't know. Yeah, my eyes are bad. Yeah. (laughs) I need glasses again. Um, Okay, so I'll go ahead and start reading, starting in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. (laughs) We'll pause here for Simone to go play. Bye-bye. See you Bye. in a little bit. Have fun. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll pick it back up in verse 23. Um, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
<clears throat> for circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? This is the really tongue twister part. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right. That's a lot of it's a lot of the word circumcision and uncircumcision, and that's kind of a hard word to say. And so, yeah, I stumble a little bit over saying that word over and over again. (laughs) It's so twisted, like you said. Yeah. So we're going to divide this up into two sections because, like I said, there's the law and then there's circumcision, and these two things, especially these two things, are. Items that would make a person Jewish. And so when we read the word for in verse 12, for all who have sinned, I think it's important when you see the word for to think about what came before it. And so we last left off with Paul saying, There's God, God shows no partiality. Um, And what is he referring to? No partiality, no favoritism. He shows no favoritism when it comes to judgment. And basically, Paul says that in the judgment of God, everybody's accountable. Jews and Gentiles, every person is accountable to God. And so he sort of, I think... um, preemptively answering a question that someone might have at this moment. And that question is, well, what about what about the Jews? What about us? What about those of us who have the law and we understand God's moral code and we have this special knowledge and we've received this from God and we know what is morally acceptable and unacceptable. And so when we talk about the law, what what is the law? Um, the law is in our Bibles the first five books. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Jewish people read this over the course of a year, at least they do right now. Um, I don't know what their practices have always been over time. But current Jews read the Torah in a year. The rabbi has a certain passage that he'll read every single week from these five books. And Torah just means instruction, teaching, or law. And in the Torah, there are over 600 rules. I think it's actually 613 rules for living that are contained in these scriptures. And so the Jewish people in Paul's time, prior to Paul's time now, all of them have this law that gives them sort of a code for life. But Paul says in one of the verses that we read tonight, only doers of the law, not just hearers of the law, will be justified or made right with God. And he divides... (coughs) Excuse me. He divides um, people, all people in the world, up into two groups, Jews and Gentiles, people with the law and people without the law. But then he says, if you noticed here... 
in verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law and all who have sinned under the law. Um, He doesn't really give anyone an out. If all of us have sinned and we either live with the law or without the law, no one can be a full-fledged doer of the law. So nobody can really um, earn righteousness or work our way to becoming right with God. Um, I think that it would be important for us to understand what the word sin means as we continue in Romans also. Um, So defining the law, defining sin. What is sin? Um, Sin has these sort of connotations when it's taken from Greek or Hebrew, either word, both sort of convey this idea of missing the mark, of failing, or falling short of a goal. And when we think about sin, we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people. We should compare ourselves to a perfect God who is upright and... Um, is the one who is the ultimate judge and knows what is right and wrong. He's the one who wrote the written code. He's the one who we compare ourselves to and we will always fall short. Um, So Paul says that Jews have the law and the Torah and the written code. They know what's acceptable and unacceptable. And so sort of what hope does a Gentile have if a Gentile doesn't have this law? Um, Paul says that they're equally worthy of judgment because Gentiles have a conscience, right? Um, Even if you don't have the Bible, there's something instinctual inside of every human being where we kind of know what's right and wrong. We know when something is is wrong. Um, And so he's referring to sort of a moral or natural law and that was something that was common in his culture in the Roman culture that was a teaching that was around and so they would have been familiar with this idea that all humans have a moral law or a natural law that's instinct and our consciences and then he says basically either way everybody's doomed because you either perish without the law or you're judged by the law. And in either case, when you really think about it, your conscience or the law just show you how you can't measure up. And so Paul is telling the Jewish person in this passage, don't see yourself as privileged or better than other people. See how you fail to consistently obey the law. You can't say that you've never disobeyed the law. And then he goes into this section on circumcision. So, we're not going to think about this too hard. What is circumcision? (laughs) It is the cutting of the foreskin of Jewish males. Um, And this was a sign of the covenant. And the word covenant means binding agreement. And so, this covenant that God makes with Abraham in the book of Genesis... You can find it in Genesis 17. It's all about fruitfulness and telling Abraham that he was going to have numerous descendants. That 
there would be kings born after him from his family line, <coughs> that they would be um, more numerous than the sand on the seashores. Excuse me. And that um, this isn't in chapter 17, but at another point, God promises that he would have multiple descendants, many, many, many of them, so that they would be a blessing to other people. Um, and so through this line, through the Israelites, through Abraham, through the Jewish people, um, they're set apart for God and made for a special purpose. And in many ways, that purpose is to be a blessing to others. And so um, from our understanding of that, that blessing is Jesus who becomes um, the savior of all of the world. But it would make sense that it, because of all of this, being set apart and separated and special, that Jews would think of themselves as special, like logically. So, you know, yeah, I am privileged. I am set apart. And Paul says, yes, you are special, but not for all of the ways that you think. Um, and that's going to be a continuous thought. Um, in our chapter next week um, and throughout the book of Romans. But Paul breaks it down and he says, just like the law is um, not of any value if we don't obey it, circumcision is not of any value if it isn't obeyed. So there's this theme of obedience. And he says in verse 23, every single person is a lawbreaker. None of us are fully obedient all the time and so circumcision is an outward sign but it doesn't do any saving and that is the case with baptism too um, it is something that we practice to set ourselves apart and to show people around us that we're following Christ but it doesn't actually save us um, that's something that happens internally rather than outwardly <clears throat> And Paul knows what it's like to feel special, um, to, to be set apart, and to feel like he maybe could get a pass. Um, we talked about this in our first couple of weeks, Paul's history, um, that he's a Pharisee, he's a teacher of the law, he's in sort of an elite religious group. And that he was so excited about that and passionate about the things that he thought he knew to be true, that he persecuted people who followed Jesus before he had an actual encounter with Jesus himself. Um, and so Paul, he knows what it's like to feel this way and to act privileged and to think that he can have a, a, a clean slate or that he's not needing judgment because he's set apart. Jesus had some words for people like this. Um, Jesus had words for people like Paul before Paul changed his life, um, before Paul turned around and started to follow Christ. Jesus says that um, for these Pharisees and teachers of the law, he rebukes them, he <clears throat> calls them out for their hypocrisy. He says, to other people, you can listen to what they teach, but don't follow their example because they don't practice what they preach. 
And so um, in Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7, and this is in the New Living Translation. So if you want to follow along in the Bibles that are around, <clears throat> this is on page 614. <coughs> um, Jesus says this. This is in verse 5. He says this of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. And they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Um, so Jesus says that these religious leaders do everything for show. And they're really showy about their prayer boxes and their tassels and sitting at the heads of tables. And they want to be respected when they're out and about in the crowds. Um, and when I think about the law and circumcision, um, and I want to apply it to us because I don't know that there's really a direct application in some ways. Um, I think about beliefs and behavior. So the law is really about having all these right beliefs and having the special knowledge and knowing what's right and wrong, right? And circumcision is kind of about having the right behavior or looking correctly on the outside. And so it's possible for us, too, to be overly religious without having internal transformation. It's possible for us to have knowledge without obedience. It's possible for us to look good on the outside and for all of it to be for show. And Jesus says later in Matthew 23 that these people are like whitewashed tombs, like a tombstone that's really beautiful looking on the outside, but inside it's full of dead bones. <clears throat> or he calls them vipers or snakes. He says that they take advantage of the people that follow them. He calls them blind guides. And that's a little bit of what Paul said about people too. He says, if you're sure that you're a teacher of others, if you're sure everyone should be looking up to you, don't you um, teach yourself. Don't you lead yourself to not steal and to not commit adultery. Paul says, and Jesus agrees, that religion alone cannot save us. It isn't that having good beliefs or behavior isn't... Um, sorry, that was a double negative, I think. Having... The right beliefs and good behavior are good things. But if that's all we have without any internal transformation, then it's um, useless. It's really useless. So to conclude tonight, I have just a little story in illustration. Um, a couple months ago, I guess it's like four months ago now, Tyler and I took a, a trip to Salt Lake City. Um, and on the outside, as we're walking around the streets, going to restaurants, hanging out with our friends who live there. It seems clean and safe. Um, we went to a pumpkin patch and it was just full of huge, huge happy families, like lots and lots of kids, but lots of happy families right outside the, the city. 
But as we talked to our friends, we found out that Salt Lake City is not so pretty behind closed doors and probably not even so pretty on the streets. We just weren't in the right neighborhoods to see it. Um, and so I was curious because it was still hard to believe even when they were telling us that. I was a little bit like, I, I don't know if I really believe you that you're saying this about crime and drug addiction and that kind of stuff. So I looked up some statistics and they were right, at least according to this one um, website that does studies on cities. Uh, I can't remember what this website was called. Gosh, I should have written that down. Um, I think it was like neighborhoodscout.com or something where like you're scouting a neighborhood to see. (laughs) Um, But they had pretty good methodology. And this website says that Salt Lake City is only safer than 1% of all other U.S. cities. And that Stockton is safer than 3%. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I was shocked to read this. And if you look at the stats, um, the violent crimes in Stockton are double Salt Lake City. Okay, so we do have more violent crime here. But the chances of... um, being the victim of a crime in Salt Lake is over like almost 20% higher. Was well, it for this year or I mean for last year? This is for the last year, yeah. Um, it calmed down a lot in Stockton. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so you're much more likely to have a property um, crime committed against you in Salt Lake City than you are in Stockton per 1,000 residents. And so my friends were right. It really is. But on the outside, it looks it looks better, <laughs> right? Um, and while we were there, we saw these kind of billboards all over the place. Pres- prescription opioids are as dangerous as heroin. Prescription opioids, heroin, same dead. They're kind of clever, clever billboards. Um, but yeah, apparently prescription addiction in Utah is up 400% in the last 20 years. Wow. And that every single week, five people in Utah die from, from opioid addiction. Oh, opioid, what's opioid? Opioids are like heroin um, or related drugs like that. And most people get started on them as prescriptions first. Um, and then they realize it's cheaper to get it, you know, as heroin once their prescription runs out. Um, And so it's not really what you would expect from Salt Lake City. It's not the reputation I think of Utah in my head, right, Mm -hmm. versus Stockton, California. And so my point here is that in Stockton, it seems like all our problems are sort of out in the open. And in Salt Lake City, from all appearances, it would seem like the problems are sort of hidden. Mm -hmm. But is anyone better than the other Um, and don't we all have hidden issues have you ever tried to do something and and failed tried to make a change in your life tried to set a new pattern tried to quit something and failed over and over again Um, I have this app called streaks and you get a you like click on it every day that you do something in a row and 
then when you don't do it that day, your streak is broken and you know, it looks kind of sad. You're like, oh man, I ate sweets and I had not eaten sweets for six days or whatever it was. For me, probably it was only one day or two days. <laughs> but we need change that starts not um, on the outside. We need change that starts on the inside and overflows <coughs> to the outside. We need change that isn't just in our beliefs or our behavior because moralism or the law or our conscience those are the things that we try to use to change our beliefs and behavior and they just show us that we don't measure up that we fall short of the finish line it's like sitting down 10 steps from the end of a race and we just can't we can't get to the end of the race on our own and so the only change that we get that starts from the inside and overflows out is from Jesus. And Paul understood this. He, uh, he experienced this. And most of the book of Romans is going to explain it to us. Um, and so we're in these three weeks on bad news, but I'm not going to let us leave it there. <laughs> Even though we're going to see the good news in two weeks. What if you're not here in two weeks? I need to tell you the good news too. We aren't without hope. Even if we feel like we can't make it to that finish line, even if we are mayonnaise on the inside, Jesus recreates us. He restores us. He reunites us um, with the relationship we have with the intended relationship we have with God. He forgives our sin and he corrects all of our wrongs. And so we're not hopeless or powerless. Um, we can invite Jesus to make that internal change inside of us. And we don't have to wait until we get to chapter 3, verses, verse 20 to do that. <laughs> Jesus um, is there to change us now. And religion or church membership, cleaning up on the outside, being a good person, none of that is what's going to change us on the outside. External change is only going to leave us missing the mark. And so I think we should pray for internal change from Jesus. Um, and that's something that's ongoing. So he comes in and he <clears throat> transforms us from the inside out, but he continues to do that work in us over time and make change that lasts instead of us just trying harder. Um, and so I'm gonna pray for us and then I've picked a couple of songs for us to sing tonight. Um, <clears throat> so it's like the Cassie show tonight because we didn't have <laughs> somebody else to lead us in worship. And also I sliced my finger open this week and so I can't play guitar. So I'm gonna play piano, which is very different for me. So we're doing lots of new things tonight. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple of songs that really focus on, um, I think they focus on Jesus as the one who can heal us and change us and bring us forgiveness. Um, and then also the fact that we were created for a relationship with God. Um, and that we're not created to be sinners. We're created to have that close relationship with God where he renews us and restores us um, so let me pray God I thank you that you love us and that 
Um, bad news is not bad news is not where it ends. That you bring us good news, you bring us transformation and change, and that um, even when we feel powerless to reset or um, make things new, Jesus, you make all things new. So I ask that you would make us new tonight for the first time or for the thousandth time <laughs> that you would renew us and restore us, that you would forgive us for the places where we've been overly religious, where we've had the right beliefs or um, the right knowledge, but we fail to obey you. God, help us to love you better. We want to love you in return. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you bring us good news.